Welcome to Historically Thinking, a program devoted to all kinds of historical knowledge and to the ways that we achieve it. I'm your host, Al Zambone of the Department of History at Augustana College. Our website is historicallythinking.org, where you can subscribe, find more information about our guests, links, and related readings. Our email address is mail at historicallythinking.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hello. In 2014, 20 million college students chose what to major in during their course of study. 79% of high school students declared a major. In fact, when completing the American College Test, or ACT. But only a third of these high school students, a third of that 79%, said that this major was in line with their own interests. Why do students do this to themselves? Why do we do this to students? And why are there so many mythologies surrounding the selection of a college major? As part of Historically Thinking's continuing occasional series on A User's Guide to Higher Education, I'm joined once again by Mike Edmondson, the director of Augustana College's Career Opportunities Research Exploration Office, that's spelled CORE, in case you were wondering. A recognized innovator and entrepreneur in career advising, Mike has his PhD in history and has worked in both higher education and in industry. He was last with us in episode eight, speaking about his previous book, Nine Steps to Navigate Your Career. So, Mike, um, your last book had lots of self-help guides and quizzes and stuff. Yes. And this one is like um, a third of it is like quizzes and questions. So we, so there's a value then. We can have this interview and you, people still have to buy the book. You still right? have to buy the book. Yeah. You still have to increase your self-awareness. And we, uh, yeah, like we want to do that. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> so we can talk. I, I actually was most curious about a really short part of the book, uh-huh. which is the questions and the stuff you have to say to parents. Mm-hmm. So um, before we go anywhere else, the book is titled is a major in happiness. Major in happiness. Debunking so, the college major fallacies. So what is happiness, Mike Evans? Well, that's a great question. And it's one of the things that you have to ask yourself and, re- and repeatedly ask yourself throughout life. So happiness for a 22-year-old is defined as one way for a 32-year-old another, for a 52-year-old another. So what's fascinating in the statistic that you quoted from my book, 79% of those taking the college entrance test declare a major. Well, how much time, what was the formal process, hell, what was the informal process by which they even decided or discussed a college major? Uh, They heard it from someone. Right. Right. They've someone told them to pick accounting, to pick finance, to pick business, to pick whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually we're I'm prepping for an interview soon uh, with Dan Chambliss, who's the author of How College Works, mm-hmm. which I'll I'll let you know how the, how it does. Great, which we can figure that out. Okay. And uh, his a sociologist is overwhelmingly advisors have nothing to do with really advising. It's kind of appalling, but sure. no one makes course selections or major selections really on input from quote unquote professionals. Right. Exactly. So we have very young professionals, 18 to 22 year olds making a major life decision, which is selecting a college major with very little guidance, very little discussion, very little reading, very little research. And we're imp- imparting on them these tremendous Herculean questions to answer, which is, what are you going to do with that major? What do you want to be for the rest of your life? 
as if there's some connection between your major and what you want to do with the rest of your life. And oftentimes, the data is pretty clear. There's very little connection. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to do is help students major in happiness. If you want to study art, study art. Don't worry about the rest of your life. Because this major is just one component of your undergraduate experience. Mm -hmm. Um, There seems to me, um, before we get to talk to parents, there seems to me two pressures upon also 18-year-olds. I I talk to them. We talk about it. Um, They're terrified of college debt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their parents are even more terrified of college debt. And their parents are, ever since, especially 2006, 2007, since the financial crisis, Mm -hmm. uh, there is obviously, all the polls show, an increasing economic anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, No matter what the economic indicators actually are, that anxiety seems here to stay. Uh, We talked about that in episode eight with you. Um, So given that economic anxiety and the ridiculously high cost of college, it seems to me these, that's where those, this, this apprehension about majors comes from. Absolutely. And what we need to help people understand is there's, picking a college major, your college major, is just one component. I keep saying it over and over again. One component of an undergraduate education. So, for example, let's say you want to major in something ridiculous called history. Mm. And you have a love of baseball because you love the history of baseball. Well, maybe you'd like to go and explore what working with a baseball team is all about. So you get an internship at a baseball team or with a sports organization that covers baseball. Well, all of a sudden, the history provides you a foundation of skills, but it's your passion for baseball that propels you forward into a career in sports. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go into business to go work in a business. You can major in philosophy and still have a nice career in theater Mm -hmm. or marketing, market Mm -hmm. research, because you're going to get internships, job shadows, and actual jobs during the summer of your college years to complement your major. Yeah, I was just trying to convince uh, someone who said her dream is to open up a donut shop. Okay. Um, I was trying to convince her that uh, she could actually also major in history. Of course she could. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely can major in history and then go intern at donut shops, interview donut shop owners, bakers, and understand the business from the back end. And all the while, you have a a great appreciation of history. Yeah, well, because, of course, she's learning to read people. Yeah. One one of the skills of, you know, I don't know, not of historical thinking, but of historical affect. Right, and storytelling. Yeah. Right, the best historians are the best storytellers. Mm -hmm. So... Helps to make a pitch. It does. You're going to, no matter what you're going to do, even if you're a professor going up for tenure, you've got a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to tell a story. So go learn that in the real world. So let's get to the, um, the part of the book I found most interesting. I'm not a parent, um, but uh, a lot of this also, we got, we've got costs of college, um, which once again, I just want to say, I apologize for them and they are ridiculous. They are which, high. And they shouldn't Absolutely. be. And they, it doesn't have to be this way, but that's a separate podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the economic situation, which no one is really in charge of. No. <laughs> um, and But we've got a third thing, which I, I, I was thinking about this. It, it has a lot to do with in loco parentis mm-hmm. and the sort of change after the, the Buckley amendments, the Buckley laws, what, 73, 74, mm-hmm. and the, ch- the change <clears throat> of both the um, relationship of parents to how their students are doing in school. So if I have a student in trouble, I can't talk to the parent. That's illegal. Right. Right. Um, 
and also the change with the 60s, but also with the law of the relationship between the, the school and the student. So we expect a lot, those parents, it seems to me, are giving a lot of input, um, but with very little information, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, either of what their students are doing or what's going on. Um, that sort of compounds the problem. That, you see what I mean? It we, does. We expect a lot more autonomy from students, which they don't necessarily have the information to be autonomous. Well, they haven't been asked to be autonomous. The right, problem, right you know, with helicopter parents yeah. is that they've been making decisions for their children since they were starting to walk. So if all you know is parental involvement for 18 years, yeah. so then when you're asked to be an undergraduate and you're constantly texting or calling mom or dad or Skyping mom and dad, you're in trouble because your self-reliance is very low. And we all know that one of the keys to a successful career launch is a high degree of self-reliance. Right. And they, and what happens, and I talk about this in the book, the more you helicopter parents, because I have two children, 25 and 21, the more you helicopter them, the more you're giving them the message of, you can't do this, so I'll do it for you. Or you can't make this decision, so I'll do it for you. So you're actually teaching them that they're incompetent, whether or that, not that's your intention, which usually it is not, but still that's a direct or indirect cause of your actions. You have five questions for parents. I, I should say before that, I just heard an anecdote of a, uh, uh, of a senior, a college senior uh, who was given a job offer in New York mm-hmm. and said, um, I have to consult with my parents first. Oh. And the recruiter said, well, we're done here. Right. Um, yeah. That sort of good for the recruiter. <laughs> it's good for the recruiter. Um, but the first question you ask is, how often do you support your child's self determination? Right. What do you mean by that? So self determination theory is pretty fascinating. It has you know a couple different components. One is, are you teaching your child to be autonomous? Right. Are you teaching your child to get along with others, and are you teaching your child to make decisions on their own? And that's uh, that's a big challenge. You know, a lot of times. Parents don't do that. And so you have to ask yourself, am I teaching my child those different components? Am I allowing them to determine their own self? What does that mean? Can you, are you interfering with your child's development? So, for example, we get this all the time in CORE. We have students that come in and they'll say, they'll blurt out invert, inadvertently, oh, well, my dad wants me to do X or my mom wants me to do Y. And I have to stop and say, well, what do you want to do? And see, what's happened is since mom and dad has already told them what they wanted, a 22-year-old isn't really skilled enough to push back against mom and dad and say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go and do this. Mm. And that's where self-determination comes in. My job is to help the student figure out what is it that you want and then go do that, Mm -hmm. regardless of what mom and dad says. So you're undermining parents' input. Yeah, how, oh, how dare, absolutely. How dare you? Yeah, well, I, well, I'm a parent. I don't interfere with my children. Uh-huh. You know, and, and it's because my parents didn't interfere with me. Yeah, you, you, you're, you thank your parents, of course. Yeah, exactly. As, yeah. as your acknowledgement is, is dedicated to your parents right. uh, for not having told you what to major. Exactly. In. No, it was the b- best gift they ever could have given me. Just let me decide on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think every parent should do that. You can offer suggestions, but don't dictate. And there's so much dictation that goes on. And it's really quite sad because students will come in crying that they're majoring in X and they really want to major in Y. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a saying that every student has two majors, the one their parents want them to have and the one that they want to have. Mm-hmm. My job is to figure out, well, what is it that you really want to major in? We'll, we'll get to that in a second. And uh, 
But second question you ask is how often do you allow your child to experience failure, disappointment, right. or discomfort? Right. Oh, so many parents avoid, you know, have their children avoid any of those. You got to let your child fail. You know, the best thing I could have done is teach both of my children to ride a bike. Yeah. And they and, and invariably they're going to fall down. And so your reaction dictates their reaction, right? They'll react the way you react. And I would just say, okay, get up, you're fine, and continue moving. Mm-hmm. Stop crying, you'll be fine. You failed. Get back on it. Get back on it. And then if they can learn that lesson, right, then they can apply that lesson to so, so many other areas of their life. But unfortunately, in the American educational system, you're not allowed to fail. Heaven forbid you fail. We've got to push students through, push students through. State funding depends upon getting all the students through at the high school level. Colleges need to have really good graduation rates, so they're going to push students through. Right, we all know about the grade inflation at the college level over the last thirty the years. Most frequent grade given in American colleges is an A. It's an A, right? So which guess is, what? Which, in the real which, world, which means excellence, right? Of course, which, it does. Which doesn't really occur no. in the real world. No, Michelangelo, Leonardo, they're excellent. The right. rest of us are satisfactory. Right. Yes. Which is a C. Right. Mm. And this, I mean, it, you just have to understand that the real world is going to cause you to fail if you're pursuing. The right path. Go down the path where you fail and mm. learn from that. So make sure you fall off your bike. Please fall off your bike. And really get bloody. Yes. The earlier you do that, the better off you are as an adult. Yeah. It's all It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. I mean, I failed so many times in my life. And I've learned from each time. And you know what you learn? The sun comes up the next day. This is a, a really interesting. I mean, the failure actually is... Uh, is it an extraordinarily important experience and how we deal with it? How you deal with it. But we can't experience, we can't get that resilience unless we do failure. Right. How could you possibly build resilience unless you failed from it? I I was listening to a, this is parenthetical, but it's related, uh, the way bankruptcy is treated in the United States compared to just about every other culture. Um, In Sweden, bankruptcy is like basically having the scarlet, you know, B on your forehead. Sure. Um, So in bankruptcy here is how we basically how we deal with failure and recoup to start again. Sure. Um, that means we have a resilient business culture. Exactly. Uh, we, but it's a part of a resilient culture. And remember know? in baseball, right? The best baseball players in the world will have a 300 batting average and they'll yeah. get into the hall of fame after 15, 20 years. Well, that means they failed two thirds of the time. Yep. They've only succeeded one third of the time and they're considered excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Apply that principle throughout the rest of your life. So you fail. Big deal. Move on. Yeah, I don't know a successful person that hasn't failed, hasn't taken risk. Mm-hmm. But we have to teach our students that, particularly in the 21st century, where yes. we're, we're increasing, like the Silicon Valley firms, or what's the joke? Uh, she's uh, eight eight out of nine firms in which she's been involved have gone bankrupt. So mm-hmm. she's considered quite a success. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, third question: How often do you demand perfection from your child? This is related. It is related to that one, right? And so if a child gets a B, we deal with this all the time as well, mm-hmm. and it's not good enough because I need an A. Well, why do you need an A? Well, I need an A because I need to maintain a 4.0. Well, why do you need to ma- for- maintain a 4.0? Well, if I don't get a 4.0, employers won't hire me. See, one, it's a, a dominoes, right? It's one domino after another. I'm like, okay, well, what employers, you mean no one will hire you if you have a 3.5 or a 2.5? Oh, no, only people that have straight A's get hired. And again, none of this is true. That 99% of the myths in an undergraduate's head, in our heads as adults, it's all false. That's why I just, I just was so disgusted I had to write the book and say anything that you believe there's no, there's no support for. Yeah. 
and it's it's eye opening once you sit down and look at the research. So perfection is it's unattainable. I don't even know what that means. But again, that you can see that culturally, it's happening from grade inflation. Yeah, the, of the only way you can distinguish yourself from the other A's is right. absolutely is a four point right. So if I have eighty resumes in front of me and they all have a four point what else you got? Right, there's so many other things you yeah. need to tack on. Yeah. It's well, not just a grade. This is obviously why we're heading towards college e- exit exams. Yes. Like the college board can't wait. I am. You know, multi-billion dollars waiting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. GREs for everybody. Oh, sounds like a nightmare. It is, but right. it, but it's it's not it's not their fault. Right. I mean, right. Um, fourth question: How often are you certain? Yes. All the time. Oh, I'm cer- I mean, I'm cer- I'm isn't it fascinating? That. I'm certain about parents that. are certain. They're just certain of what's best for their child. And, you know, being a parent is so ridiculously hard sometimes. And one of the things that I, you know, remind parents is, well, how certain were you with all of your life's decisions? And then they realize, well, I was kind of wrong a lot. Of course you were wrong, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. So why would you apply a high-level certainty with your child? Just let them go and live their lives. It's a challenge, but it's important. This also comes, it's a problem uh, when, in higher education, about which most people don't really have a right to their certainty. I mean, we all have a right to our certainty in most things. Mm-hmm. My, fa- my, my father say he's a chemical engineer. Uh, he is entitled to a high level of certainty mm-hmm. with regard to certain processes involving centrifugation. I mean, sure. he has a right to his opinion. Yes. Uh, there are lots of things that we're, we are actually expert at, but higher ed is its own mysterious jungle. Yes. And so, well, all the PhDs are certain about everything. It's fascinating yeah, to me. Yeah, that's right. We are so certain about life. Uh-huh. It's impressive. That must explain all the reviews. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to be, have a little humble hum, humility. Yeah. It's a hard, my, my, my wife read that section of the book. She said, you're pretty hard on parents. Yeah, you I are. I said, well, you know what? Someone has to be hard on parents. Because I see the direct result of this. You've got a lot of unhappy young people. And I got to tell you, this was just happened the other day in Philadelphia, my home city. Bless it. The 10th student from University of Pennsylvania in three years. 10 in three years. Yep. The 10th one just committed suicide. Saw that. Jumped in front of a train. Yep. I cannot read another article about the death of a young person. And I'm not saying these are all directly contributing factors, but the pressure that's placed on them by society at large, parents in general, higher education institutions, high schools, you know, or you got to go have a great career. You got to make six figures. You got to pick the right major. You got to have a 4.0. Enough. When is enough enough? Let them be 18 to 22 year olds. Purpose of college, right, is to explore your identity. Not, yes, you're going to get a job. You're going to select a major. Okay, all, but you have to explore what does life mean? How are you a citizen? What does it mean to work with others that are different than you? And more importantly, how do you struggle with really difficult questions? Mm-hmm. You know, So get uncomfortable and work through that. I, I completely agree with that, but acknowledging at the same time, it was a lot easier to do that when it cost $5,000 a year in our money. Agreed. Uh, I agree. Yeah, for sure. We we've put a lot of barriers into right. that, but we can't lose sight of that. No, we can't. But we, that, we therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, finally, how often do you equate high salaries with your child's happiness? Yeah. 
you know, Gallup has a well-being index, and there's five areas of well-being. Let's see if I can remember them. There's financial, so salaries and investments, that kind of stuff. Social, there's physical, there's mental, and there's like a community. So what's really sad is 35 to 40% of Americans are thriving mm-hmm. in all five. Thirty About a third to a little bit more than a third, right? The other two-thirds of Americans are struggling in all five of those categories. So instead of putting all this pressure about, well, you know, you've got to make uh, 55000 just starting. Okay, well, the median salary in this country is 45000 You get 72% of Americans that make less than 50000 So, oh, and unbeknownst to most parents, 40% of recent grads are making less than 30000 so if your child comes in with a job offer for 26000 congratulate them. It's the first step on many steps in their career. But no, what we get is some parents saying, oh, don't do that job until you get a job offer for $50,000. Okay, what happens if that doesn't come? Mm-hmm. So we are just putting way too much emphasis on the salary. And I know people have bills to repay. I get it. Average debt from college is 32,000. 32,000. And so people want a job that will immediately retire that. Yeah, debt. okay. Well, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Let's think long term. Successful people think in decades. Unsuccessful people think week by week. You got to think in decades. Take that first job, leverage it for your second job, leverage that for your third. That by that time you do that, you're 30, probably making double than what you started 8 years ago. Mm-hmm. If you've played your cards right. But to expect it all to happen. This I always tell people in core, you're not ordering pizza. I know you're paying a lot of money and you want something. You're paying a lot of money for an education. You're not coming in for an internship or a job. You're coming in so we can prepare you to make sure you're ready for an interview. And then the final decision is up to the organization. But we'll help you every step of the way. So don't think you come in on a Monday and you'll have a job on Tuesday. It's not a transaction. Mm -hmm. It's a process. Now, when we select a major... Um, research indicates that often uh, comes, well, first of all, let's very briefly go through some of the logical fallacies regarding a major. Sure. Uh, you go through, shows the value of a philosophical education. You go through the post hoc ergo propter hoc, the, uh, all the rest of it, yeah. uh, love in the Latin, uh, obviously another Cabrini college graduate back when they actually taught that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so what are these fallacies? So, and, and, they, and by the way, it's nice to see uh, everybody on all sides of the political spectrum Create, make is making these fallacies. Oh, in, in response to the the de, the college debt. Without crisis. a doubt, I don't care what political no, party. No, you're, has no, not, you're every, guilty. Everyone gets it wrong. Everyone gets it wrong. Yeah. So what the fallacies are: your major determines your long-term earning potential. Right. Which is just absolutely ridiculous. There's no, in other words, there's no research to suggest. There's that. no research to suggest that. Okay. Yes, of course, the engineers are going to make more than the philosophy majors at 22. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's. As I talk about it in the book, it's also colder in Minnesota in December than it is in Miami. It is. So should we close Minnesota yes. and move everyone to Miami? It's so stupid. <laughs> there, there is there. There's, right? there's a good argument to be made. There. <laughs> Go on. I love it. <laughs> uh, second one is you need to land your dream job and figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. First of all, I don't even know what dream job is. I couldn't tell you what that is. Because remember, today's students are going to have jobs that don't yet exist, using technologies that haven't been invented to solve problems that haven't been identified. So how could you possibly know what you want to do in 20 years from now when those jobs, technologies, and problems haven't even been identified? So it's just stop it. And what, do you just have one dream job and then you're done dreaming? You should have as many dreams as you'd need two lifetimes to achieve them. So that's just absolutely insane. 
And so when I'm in front of parents, I ask them, how many of you at 22 knew exactly what you wanted to do and then did that for the rest of your life? Every once in a while, a hand or two will go up. Well, congratulations. Good for you. 99% of the people, they thought they knew, and then life happened. And it's a continuous unfolding before your eyes. Mm-hmm. You uh, talk about conf- the Kumhawk uh, uh, ergo propter hawk uh, because conf- you confused uh, – Association with causation. What's that? And then we'll uh, we'll have to finish up. Yeah. So it's um, John majored in accounting mm-hmm. and had a successful career. So go major in accounting. Right. Well, I I don't want to do that. I hate actually. I hate numbers and I hate spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Oh well, then you're going to be a failure because Joe majored in history and he's working at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the one has nothing to do with the other. Maybe Joe didn't take risk. Maybe he didn't have an internship. Maybe he's too lazy. That's also an anecdotal fallacy right there. Right. Yes, exactly. Maybe he just doesn't want to go move to a different geographical location. Mm -hmm. Like if there's a job in Singapore and you're single and you're 24 and it pays you triple what you're making now and you don't want to take that chance and you're stuck at the coffee shop, you have no one to blame but yourself. So you've got to realize there's so much more to life than the college major. There's a reflection in the mirror, and that's what's going to allow you to succeed. So just to sum up uh, this very uh, short podcast, um, what's the advi- What's the best thing that we've talked about parents, but what's the best thing that an entering freshman can do in actually discovering their major? They need to talk to as many different people as possible, professionals. And learn career paths. So not their hallmates, not their... They can, but they don't have any life experience. Go right. talk, and that's what the alumni comes in. Go talk to alumni and realize that everyone has their own unique path. And once they realize that over the fifth conversation, they can calm down and say, wow, I just met five people, different majors, and they had wildly different career paths. So that's okay. I'll just choose something that I enjoy, that I can feel fulfilled with. I can live a life of purpose studying philosophy, and then go into some jobs with an open mind and see where it takes me. They need to network with people that have been there before them. My guest today has been Mike Edmondson. Uh, He's the author of the Major in Happiness, Debunking the College Major Fallacies, as well as Nine Steps to Navigate Your Career. Both of them are worth buying and uh, working through all the various uh, self-help guides. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. For more historical thinking, go to historicallythinking.org, where you can comment on today's program and find show notes, links, and readings related to today's conversation. Historically Thinking is recorded in the studio of WAUG, the student radio station of Augustana College. Our program's editor is John Ruddat. Beth Leinbach keeps the schedules in sync. Matt Lehas keeps WAUG Studio running. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Talk to you next week.